Welcome back to Creative Chit Chat with me, Ryan McLeod. This week's guest is Rich Cahill, who is a last summer's graduate from DJ CAD. He's now down in London working for IDEO. But I actually had him in over the summer doing a, a week-long internship at Slurp and we smashed out a few little prototypes and a nice little product which I'll put a link to in the show notes if we take a look. But he's a, an extremely talented young designer and he's a great self-promoter as well and we sort of cover a few of those topics and the move from Dundee down to London. Um, so yeah, it was a really great chat and unfortunately we had to cut it just a little bit short, but I hope you enjoy it. Yeah, what have you been up to for the last five months? So, since June, graduating in June, which was great, wearing the cape, crossing the stage and all that, getting bopped on the head, and then there was a group of us, there was 40 of us went, no, I think, yeah, 35 of us went down to New Designers down in London, which was really cool, and exhibited all the work that we'd sort of spent you know, a year on to a wider audience, which was really interesting to sort of gauge how people react outside of Dundee as well. And some people did really, really well and like, you know, got really good feedback and got jobs leads out of it and the like. Um, and that was sort of, that was on the 1st of July or the first week of July. So that was the new designers exhibition. And then I, I just sort of used that as a vessel to move down to London really. So I might have sort of quite shadily put lots of boxes in the new designers van. <laughs> With you know marked project <laughs> quite ambiguously. So you already had a job lined up before you went. Yeah, to sorry. Yeah, so I um, had a job lined up since March, but an internship. So I was lucky enough to be have a sort of a friend recommend me to one of the guys at Ideal London, and then a couple of conversations later, we phone call, a little visit down to London, and a very intense or. Well, seemingly intense interview, which was just a chat in the end. Later, and then I was sort of guaranteed a job from from August. So, did you specifically seek out Ideal, or was it just a circumstance thing? You said it was a friend. I think it was a culmination of lots of lots of sort of things coming together. Like I've always grafted really hard on my portfolio, and like making sure that I'm showing us like stronger presence online and offline as I can as possible so like going to every event going to going yeah going to every event like being involved on Twitter like making sure my folio is up to date but then also just like being a person in the room and like you know going for beers with people and trying to sort of you know just be a designer I guess like in the pub as well yeah I suppose I mean that's how I I met you Mm. It's kind of going to events and seeing mm. your face about. That's one of the things that I've learned that you need to do as a designer. You need to be out there, and it's that horrible word of, of networking. But it's not the, the sort of standard sense of the word where you're working a room, wearing a suit, handing out business cards. It's I think it's a much more social thing. Yeah, um, and I think you embedded yourself in to the creative community quite a bit in the last couple of years. I think a lot of that comes off the back of actually wanting to do it as well. Because like, there's no point in going to an event and just being, you know, just being there because you're, you know, meeting the room. Like, you want to be there, you want to be actively engaged in there. Mm. It has to be that sort of drive. And I think that's the reason why people, you know, would, you know, chat to you or like you know, put you up for a job or something is because they know that you're passionate enough to go to those 
events. So like, it's not about just going for the sake of it. You have to be going and like, like going because you want to. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, there's no point in like dragging yourself there, because people will pick up on that as well. Yeah. So we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but yeah. So if we go back to mm-hmm. new designers, back to new designers. Um, so all our work on a sort of a, a London centric stage. It's quite cool. Uh, so I moved a lot of my stuff down to London then. I had the job starting in August with um, IU, which I was really, really lucky to get. And then I sort of just plodded around for a month, went back home to Ireland, did a bit of, the, did a bit of this, a bit of that, and then moved back to London. Moved in with my aunt. London is notorious for his terrible living situation. Yeah. So my aunt, fortunately for me, my aunt lives in sort of West London. It was going to be about an hour and a half commute for me, but that's not totally unheard of in London to do an hour and a half. But during my first week on the tube, it was just the most horrendous thing in the world. And like this morning, coming, I was staying at my friend's last night in Glasgow and getting on the subway, I, I was like literally in my mind, I was imagining sort of like the tube, like, you know, a central line at Russia. And I was about to jump on the tube. I like, I gave myself an hour to get like from West End to the Cannon Street. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to be waiting for three stops. But then I got on, it was just the most dreamy commuting situation in the world. But again, another tangent. So I was staying at my aunt's in West London uh, for the first sort of week of work. I was commuting about an hour and a half each way. So it was hefty. It was yeah. a very, very sweaty central line. Uh, on my second day, I came in and the manager director sat me down and there was still sweat dripping off my nose onto the like the sheet of paper in front of me. It was just <laughs> almost, and this is like me trying to make a good impression sort of thing. So I sort of was like, this really won't work for me. Um, started sniffing around, see if there was any like affordable flats basically wasn't looking good at all until I saw on spare room which is you know the sort of the standard room website mm-hmm. room renting website there's was uh I was just like Clarkenwell where the offices is like just way too expensive to get a flat it's like it's celebrities like pet shop boy like lives next door to the office kind of thing it just you know it just wasn't gonna happen like financially for me but then I heard about this thing called property guardianship which is basically a sort of a step up from squatting. It's not the, it's, you, you look after a building and you pay rent to the sort of the agent which looks after the building and you sort of basically take up residence in it. And I was like, that sounds, that sounds kind of interesting. And then it turned out that there was one nearby to the office. There was one about literally next door to the office. It used to be the old Ben Sherman headquarters. And I saw it in spare room and uh, it was, the advert was just like full of typos I was like, this is way too good to be true. Like, this is scam, scam, scam. But it was next to it was next to the office, so I was like, I'll take a pun on it. And you came across it online. I can't, yeah. So I was like, I was just like really whimsically googling like flats in central London, flats in Clerkenwell, flats in Zone One, flats in EC One R, which is the postcode. And then it came up, and I was like, well, that's that's fake. But I just sort of. Did a, bit of, did a bit of digging, found out that it was like a brand new property guardian company, which is maybe why um, which is maybe why it wasn't that well listed, I guess. And then off the back of that, sent in sent in a reply. Knew I wouldn't get a reply. Spare room, you just don't get a reply. So you have to like do a bit more digging. So I managed to find the the crowd that we were like renting out online or on Twitter. And then gave them a tweet. Saw the place on Friday. It was real. It was really, it was a lot cheaper than any of my other options. It was cheaper than my commute at that stage as well. Wow. So saw it on Friday, had the keys on Monday and it's the old Ben Sherman headquarters, which is quite cool. So it's not set up as 
like living space it's still just the offices and you get a portion of that pretty much so it's like I said, it's a step. It's like the the building is as it was when Ben Sherman moved to Leeds in I think it was January last year, which is also the excuse that the boiler is not working. But um, <laughs> but we, uh, it's basically a sort of everyone gets their own sort of section of the office. But it's not like a big open plan office. There there are big open plan offices. It's twenty thousand square foot. It's huge, five floors. But basically, everyone has their own sort of section, their own room. And how so, many how many people are in there? I think there's 16 of us now. Okay, so not really not that many for 20,000. No, it's, there's loads of loads of room, loads of room. And I think each one of us has about, each, each one of us has like a big space like to ourselves. Like one of the guys has, it's probably got the same like square footage as like a four bedroom house. Like it's huge. And he just doesn't know what to do with it. Mm. So he like set up a tent in the middle of it. <laughs> like he's got like, he's got like a projector bit, like, you know. And it's it's all it's really fun and like everyone's between the ages of like twenty two and I think the oldest person is maybe thirty. So like everyone's young, works full time, you have to work full time to get it. Okay. Um, pays cheap rent and it's just like same interests. Everyone's in creative or tech or there's a couple of girls in fashion. And it's good fun. And so is is that gonna be a long term thing? Or? Absolutely not. I don't think so. It's I guess that's sort of part and parcel of it is you're you're basically looking after a building, right? So it's property guardianship, you know. It's like you're supposed to be looking after the building. It, we're basically protection against squatters, and then also we sort of make sure that the building doesn't fall into disrepair because the the sort of the agent the property guardian agency that we pay money to would look after the building using the money that we pay to them, you know. And that's the sort of that's their sort of model within those take like a cut. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's probably not going to be longer than sort of January time, which works for me because I'm on a six month internship contract. So if I don't get, if I don't stay on, then uh, or stay on in London, then got sort of don't have to worry about getting out of a lease as well. So now you're sort of settled within central London, if you mm-hmm. like. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you finding that and sort of contrast to Dundee before? I mean, it's it's chalk and cheese. You know? It's like. Um, but you just, before you left, you didn't think you were going to like it. You I, to me yeah, I, I think before I had this massive sen- massive sense of dread, like pitted in my stomach about moving to London. I don't know, this is not the answer what you want, but I don't know why I had that. I think it was, I, I think it's like, maybe it's a, as a, like, a Scottish person, just like the idea of London as this like far-flung place where decisions are made and, you know, end London rule and all that. And it's just not this sort of, just for me, it was never the place that I wanted to go, because mm. I I'd spent time in London. I got here and I worked in a bar and I made like no money and just had a horrendous time. I lived sort of like it just wasn't great. Like all my all my pals were out having a good time and I was just working bar, like paying enough money to have a beer on the weekend. That was like it. And then um, so that was my sort of my experience of London. That was like suburban London, but like now I'm like in the thick of it. I'm like in the central like design quarter. Like ten minutes away from pretty much everything, and it's it's totally changed the game. So, yeah. so let's talk a bit about work, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> how are you finding that? So how are you finding being in a, a, a big studio? Um, it's very different, I guess. It's sort of it's really good. Like it's 
it's a massive jump from what I'm used to. In the in sort of sense, in in the sort of the level of clients, I guess, okay. sort of, and just, but the the process is exactly the same. The difference is that you know it's it's just a bigger sort of system, right? So you find that reassuring in a way that that everything you've been doing up to now, there, there is actually a yeah, it all makes sense, right? It's all just it all it all clicks together. And uh, I was saying this recently, like the the skills I was taught in uni, I mean it the design industry is so hard to you know prepare anyone for it, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's ever evolving, it's always changing, and like the sort of the, I guess design and tech, which is where I would sit. Like that is that's just running all the time, and it's really hard to keep up. But I think the sort of the approaches and the way of thinking, and the sort of you know bit of an art school sort of human centric approach, really is the only thing which makes sense in that kind of environment. You know, all the tech skills and stuff—they're all things you know which. You might have to like do on the side, but like really, it's the sort of the softer, like human centric sort of raw design skills, I guess, which makes sense in every scenario, like from you know, from student to you know, big corporation. I, I don't think that answered your question. <laughs> but so, how do you find in studio life then? Like one, I mean, one of the things I noticed as soon as I went from university to industry was pace. Mm. Was that Everything is much more fast-paced, and even down to your your production skills, you have to learn to produce quicker. Have you mm. f- you found that? Or? Yeah, and I guess that's the thing about uni is you've got the luxury of time. Mm-hmm. Like, I remember when I did my internship at Mosley last summer. Um, that was the biggest thing which came through as well. It's just like the, the how quickly you have to make decisions, and like, I guess that's that's the important part of like just solid solid research as well and like really knowing the direction you're going in and what what you're trying to answer and like the sort of the needs you're you're designing for because that means that you always have this concrete standpoint which you're able to reference back and sort of justify decisions even when you make them a split decision having said that though everything i think learning those skills slower right means that you're more comfortable to make them sort of in a fast-paced world as well. Yeah, there's a sort of natural progression in that mm. you will amp up as you learn more and become more comfortable in, mm-hmm. in those skills and mm-hmm. the ways you apply them. And then, yeah, naturally you do become quicker. But um, I found that getting thrown in at the deep end where you have you can have up to five deadlines in a day or a mm. week or whatever, then it really pushes you and pushes mm. your skill set. Um, and I found that I felt I improved massively um, as a designer being in that sort of environment. Under pressure. Yeah, yeah, under. Yeah. I don't know, maybe, do you feel there is a pressure there or is it a bit more relaxed in the deadline sense and the production sense? I guess I've, I've not been there too long, so I can't speak too much about, you know, I think the projects I've been on have been sort of a bit more relaxed um, because we're sort of more sort of research driven, more sort of exploratory. Um, maybe that's as an on-ramp for me as well as um, for the company to understand a little bit more about my skill set before they sort of basically, I'm basically before I'm working for a client mm-hmm. on a project. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's definitely. It, I mean, still, it's definitely fast paced, and I do feel like because you're you're constantly working alongside people who obviously are miles better than you, and you know you learn a lot from, and they sort of they challenge you quite a lot, and you're sort of like running to keep up with them as well 
which means that you know maybe nights are a bit later sometimes and but I think it is all worth it and it's all sort of everyone's in the pit together which is quite cool mm-hmm. I find it it's funny because you you spend four years at university and you build up and you become top of the pile mm. and then as soon as you go into industry you're, you're back down the bottom again and you've got to then work your way up that's like super refreshing though that's, I think that's really good yeah, like, well, yeah it totally is and I think there's a, a, like an energy that you yeah. go with and an excitement and a passion but, uh-huh. um, but then I think that's that's what wanes over time um, mm. and there's the, the three year itch mm. where people get last in a job for around about three years or just under and then, then move on in sort of the realms of design I've mm. found that to be quite true with the people that I've, I've known and I've worked with um, and it's getting that fresh start mm. and that, that fresh bit of perspective or a slightly different role or a different company um, so I think yeah it is great and there's a lot of excitement that comes with that that change I remember seeing I think it was like one of the first things I saw on the door I don't think it was from when I started or like on it was written somewhere in the studio anyway. but it was just said like why can't we all just be you I don't know if it was done like you know as like some like passive aggressive kind of thing or if it was like a joke or what but I was like hmm and like I'm not the most like there's, since since I started there's now two other there's two other interns and it's kind of they came on at the same time two months after me and it's kind of cool to see like to basically watch them like go through the sort of the same sort of intro stuff that I did as well which mm-hmm. is quite cool yeah let's see it from the other side but yeah, it's always it's always good to feel fresh and like you have to be uncomfortable, like at least a little bit uncomfortable. Otherwise, well, I was I was I was having this conversation yesterday about feeling most comfortable when you're uncomfortable sometimes, and like when you're really being challenged, and like that's what drives you forward, I guess. I remember someone I can't I now can't remember exactly who said it, but it was on a definitely on a podcast at some point, and he said your your aim should be to be the stupidest person in the mm-hmm. room mm-hmm. every time because you have the potential to learn the most every time. Yeah. yeah. I think there's a lot of value in that. and What you're saying about, about learning from people and pulling out that knowledge and yeah. um, going into that environment where it's really exciting to see people who are at the top of their game and you can go, I can learn from that, 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 and that. Yeah. It's pretty, I, there was one week when I was, I was just like, I was literally just sitting in on a pitch. It was just like, poof. It was like, pretty cool take you back to when you were at university you mentioned before that you were at Malsey for a Mm -hmm. a summer Mm -hmm. Um, I was uh, I think just my title was just design intern Mm -hmm. there last summer so all aspects of sort of mobile product design um, focusing probably around UX and quite a lot sort of like the visual communication side of things and did you find that so Going into that environment for a summer, did you find that valuable? Yeah. Again, like, it was all about pace and it was all about making decisions really quickly. Uh, and obviously, you've got quite a lot of design precedent there as well. And it was about understanding. I think that was the biggest that was the biggest change for me because usually in uni, you sort of start, you know, blank sheet. But this was like, you're coming in and you're sort of working through existing designs and sort of, you know, you're being critical about that work and mm-hmm. then sort of, constantly user testing and because it was a really small team as well it meant that even as a design intern I ended up with quite a lot of responsibility working alongside basically just supporting um, Alex who was um, the, the lead designer there but that was that was really cool as well um, specifically to sort of see the entire startup environment from the inside and understand 
how that all worked a little bit as well. Like sitting next to the CEO was always cool, you know. Sitting and like especially when land sort of a big, big sort of chunk of cash and watching all that sort of go through. You know, the guy sitting next to me, or you know, sitting across the room from me. That was pretty smart. And was that something they advertised for and you applied? Again, it's just something I was in a room with. Actually, that came off the back of an event down in Edinburgh called Silicon Milk Roundabout, which I think they do them in London, they do them in New York, and then this was the first one in Scotland. And it's basically just lots of startups, sort of tech-driven startups, and quite a few sort of design and tech companies go along and just chat to people. Approach it as like free beer and like chat to some interesting folk around design and around sort of tech. And then like Malsey weren't, Malsey were just there and I'd heard about them because they were, you know, like the young hot startup on the scene that year, I think. And I just decided to go up and chat and basically just got lucky, I guess. You say you got lucky, but I think there's a, there's an approach in a way that you do things from from what I've seen and like even just your your presence on social media and things mm. like that and how you you engage with people when you start conversations. At what point did you you start doing that and starting to engage and what was the reason for you you doing that and getting out and speaking to people in industry? And... It's just I don't know. I just always felt compelled. Like that's the thing you do. Like yeah. like I've never I've never sort of bought into like you know job sites and stuff like. I know that if I'm in the room with someone and like if it clicks then that's somewhere I want to work. So was there a, did you have an end goal in mind? Never. I just I don't know I just sort of go to stuff. Just it's just an interest. Yeah it? just yeah. yeah it's like it's just kind of what I did. I don't know. It's like it's hard to even think back and like oh why did I go to that event and I just kind of did. It's like or I felt there was you know it's almost like you want to you want to go and speak to people about your work and their work and you want to see because I mean that's what you spend all your day doing like a lot of the time you know um, in uni like you know your projects are you know a huge part of your life and that's and there's something that you want to stand by and something you want to talk about and something you want to like find other people who are interested in and when you get that opportunity it, it feels great you know and maybe like even like a conversation with anyone about your work is, you know is always or about their work and about sort of like similar interests. Mm. So your skill set, I mean, that you, you do a lot of different things mm -hmm. from coding to designing. Mm. How would you describe your skill set if someone's to ask? I, I did this actually in an event. I was like, I'm like 60% designer, 40% developer. But I don't rec I reckon that doesn't stay. Like it totally depends on sort of the mode I'm in. I think it depends what I, what I have to do, but I do, I'd sort of definitely design driven, definitely sort of design approach driven, but then I've never been really content with getting things to sort of a wireframe or like, or, a, you know, a high fidelity mock-up. It's always been about sort of like, you know, starting the ball rolling a little bit on development. Yeah. So like I've never, I've, bar one sort of application, I've been able to take something from sort of like, like, you know, concept to, well, pre-concept to um, sort of shippable, almost shippable prototype. Mm. Like, bar maybe one of those, like, usually I get them sort of like pre-concept to sort of, you know, something which is shareable and sort of prototype worthy. But it's all, like, 
I think it's always about building and sort of making stuff. And like design, designing and then sort of getting into the sort of the craft as well. And sort of like really trying to push myself at the craft, whether that's like making stuff physically, working with, you know, electronics, but like, or working with code and just sort of building in. They're the sort of the mediums of, you know, prototyping and they're the sort of, that's the bit about like putting something new out there into the world and actually being able to, you know, show people a real thing, mm -hmm. I think. That's probably, that's my biggest drive, I think. And do you think stuff. it's a, a control thing about creating that quality, that really high quality output and so that you have control end to end over everything? That's interesting. Uh, well, I've no, I've no, no issue with passing over my work, like to get defensive now. <laughs> <laughs> but like, no, I've never had any issue with sort of handing things off, but maybe there is an element of that, an element of sort of wanting to retain ownership. I think for me, like the quality of output is is so important in everything that I do mm. because I, like, everything that you create, it's got your produce. name on it, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. But then that leads to getting involved in things further down the line. Like I've seen myself become more involved in the the CSS coding of things mm -hmm. and the animation side of things, and so that I can craft and I can help work alongside developers yep, yep. to say, can we try this? Can we do that? Can we make this look like that? And that should slide this way or that way. Um, and having that real understanding and relationship with the developer um, where they know you know what you're talking about. I think that's that's really important. But for me, I think it is an, an issue of control because I want to to have an influence on that final output because I know that it's, it's so important. Um, and that the transition between design and the final piece um, has to be consistent and has to be true to the, the vision that I've had at the start. Mm. I guess that's the importance of sort of knowledge in that space as well. But then there's that ongoing debate about like, you know, should designers code, which you, you know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you're on Hacker News or like Designer News or anything, it's literally just this, like someone just beats the drum and then like everyone just goes like, ah, should designers code? No, yes, no, yes, no. And it becomes this like big thing. And I guess, like that's the that's the sort of the old, the old approach of like designers are the people that dream the unimaginable sort of you know thing, and developers are the one who struggle to sort of bring that to life. Mm. But I think they're slowly coming to together, which is why this whole designers code, designers shouldn't code sort of argument happens quite a lot as well. So what's your answer? Yes or no? It's like designers should do what they want. <laughs> like if you've got this, if you've got the skill set which means that you're able to bring stuff to life and sort of communicate better with the developer, then that's great. If you're a designer who is really like kick ass at like building visuals, then maybe that's where you should focus all your time. So it's, I mean, it's less about thinking yourself in that sort of like uh, pigeonhole. It's more about sort of like thinking about yourself on a, on sort of a, a line, right? And where do you fit in and who else can you talk about, talk to on that line? Yeah. Designers do what they want. <laughs> I think, yeah, in my opinion, there needs to be an understanding. I don't think designers necessarily need to code, but mm. they need to have an appreciation for, for what it takes to mm. produce a certain output, mm. to yeah. understand that process at least. And timescale as well. And that, I yeah. guess these are these are the sort of the real sort of end of day, like employable things, which is like, right, well, I'm able to understand as a designer what this cost to implement versus, you know, what that cost to implement mm. in terms of time and resources. And I guess that's the sort of, that's the designer should code thing. But then, you know, 
that's from a business perspective, but from a sort of pushing a craft perspective, then maybe designers shouldn't code because then they'll be able to push like sort of developers this way to understand. And I guess that's the that's the the crux of the of the argument. So yeah, <laughs> so you think designers should code? <laughs> I think they should have definitely should have an appreciation of it, and yeah, under, yeah. A, a basic understanding yeah. of it, a knowledge and understanding. Right? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I'm, that's maybe. Um, well, I suppose it is a, it's a selfish view because that's the approach that I take mm. and I think that that's the right approach mm. to take. Um, but I also feel that the, the best designers that I know have that appreciation and can do some code mm. um, and do. So, uh, yeah. But again, the, the, there is no right and wrong answer. There is no perfect process. Mm-hmm. Um, the process is always evolving and changing. Um, as technology changes, as job roles change, and so you ask me that question in a few years' time, it's probably going to be entirely different. Um, but right now, that's that's sort of how I feel about it. Yeah. Like five years' time, set an alarm. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know. Uh, cool. Uh, so we're sort of running out of time. Yeah. Uh, but is there anything that you'd like to plug? Don't think there's anything that I can talk about. Oh, okay. <laughs> Which is really good. <laughs> okay, so about that. It's like so so many times I would usually have like about a zillion things, but right now, no. Okay. So I'm so disappointed. <laughs> That's the reality of working for a company. And well. Get me on Twitter. That's like okay, that's yeah. that there we go. So I'm Rich underscore Cal, C A H I L L. Thanks very much. Cheers, Ryan. So that was Rich Cahill, a short and sweet interview, but grateful to, to catch him on a sort of whistle-stop tour when he was back up from London. But yeah, I'll, I'll put all the, the links and the notes to his Twitter and his website, his his work, especially his honours project, is, is definitely well worth a look. So thanks again to Rich, and until the next episode, goodbye.